Good morning, everyone. This is Chip Littlejohn from Avini Health Company. It is the 15th of March, 2023, which means we're about halfway through this month and we're about, we're approaching a quarter of a way through the year 2023. Is that crazy? And I guess we've all been busy. There's a lot going on. I have, as we were saying just before we started the recording, if something goes wrong here, it's not because we don't have a lot of material to speak from, having just arrived home last night from our Avini Summit in Las Vegas at the Tuscany. We now know that we're going to be in October at the Blues Bar or something like that. We have the entire venue just to ourselves in Dallas, Texas. And so that's the next time that we're getting together in mass. But now we're already several days towards preparing for that. So whatever we want to do to get ready for our next conference is underway. I wanted to highlight a couple of things about what happened at the conference, but I, I kind of get got of giving you guys some insight into you know, what's going on at any given moment. So there's aspects of a, a magazine to what we're doing. A brand new guy, um, courtesy of Jim McGrath, who was the guy that uh, had the incredible testimony to open the entire conference, and Neil pointed over to the screen after hearing Jim give his testimony, and he said, that's what it's all about. And on the way home last time was the very first time we ever heard Jim McGrath's name. And Jim called kind of a series of organs. Think about Marcy with the female organs, went to another buddy, Michael. He had a problem with his pancreas. He survived, and that's been 12 years since then. He walked the Appalachian Trail, including climbing the big mountain at the end. And then his friend has horrible prostate troubles that has relocated to his bones. His bones are now pipe bombs because there's no place for things to expand in there. They hurt like crazy. And this guy calls us on the way home from the test me last. And it goes for a month or more without any obvious improvement. He just hurts worse. And there was a moment at which I turned to Marcy. I mean, literally, he hurt so much it was keeping me awake at night. And, and that can happen. And it was happening, and I looked at Mars and said the wrong thing. I know it was the wrong thing to say now, but I guess it turned out okay. I, I looked at Marcy, and I said, this guy is trying to die on us. And she looked back at me, and she said, no, he's trying to live. And I just looked right back at her, and I said, then we better call him right now because this is going to happen quick, whatever it is. And so I called him, and I said, here's the deal, Jim. Uh, we got to one of the two of you is going to kill the other one. Either that little thing growing inside of you or you is going to kill the other one and it's going to happen quick. We've got to go hyper-compliant. You've got to use these products like nobody ever used them before. You've got to do every good behavior you know of. That word hyper-compliant came from working with Dave Johnson when it was his prostate that was in trouble. And I never really had the joy of working with somebody who brought so much of his own into the fight. He was already thinking, figuring, cogitating about what to do and happened to hear about what happened with Marcy from Robin and reached out to us and said, okay, I'm in trouble. What do you know? What was it that happened with Marcy? And so that then leads to Jim McGrath calling. Much much worse because it's gone way, way further down the river. He's already traveled all over the world and spent tons of money 
trying to get better and maybe bought some time. The one thing he hadn't done, he had refused, which was you know, a big advantage as it turns out, he had refused to do the awful things that would hurt him horribly bad. He had not removed the organ. He had not radiated it. He had not poisoned it chemically. But he had just held it off. But when you're evaluating a product, when you're evaluating a company, this is the way that it clicks in my brain. You're looking for the mode of action. How does it work? A lot of things sound great, right? Network marketing in and of itself sounds great, right? But what if there's something not quite right about it yet? What if it does not, and this is the second way to evaluate, what if it does not have the magnitude of effect that you need to solve the problems that you got? Well, then it's interesting, but it's not as useful as it needs to be to save you. When you get to Avini and you start working through this product line and you start working through Avini as an opportunity, now you have the mode of action, makes sense. Every place you turn, it makes sense. And you have the magnitude of effect. When you need it to help yourself, your family, your friend, it has enough impact to make the difference. The simple little example I use to talk about that is if I were an engineer and I was writing a mechanical engineer, not a railroad engineer, but I was both, I guess, in this particular story, and the train was going down the tracks, I could write a paper that if I went to the front of the train climbed down the ladder on the left side of the lead engine and started dragging my boot in the gravel on the left side of the tracks, it would increase the drag on the left side of the train and the train would tend to go to the left. Right? I mean, there you go. There's your mode of action. I just got a letter from Marilyn Castle this morning and she said that, is it true that in order to have the considered as a drug, the efficacy has to be at least 37%. And I thought, well, I haven't ever heard that word before, but it can't be that good because I see little extensions of miserable life that turn into gigantic products. I see little products that are actually harming you in another way, but help you in one way that you can demonstrate in a trial, and they get to market. And then when you put it into the population of people, the, the humans all get sicker and sicker instead of more well. Now you've got a mode of action that looked kind of like it made sense, but then when you actually apply it, guess what the ultimate application of a product is? To me, in my world, in my thinking, it's network marketing. If you take a product and you bring it into network marketing, and it's either going to survive or it's not, and you're going to have a gigantic um, trial going to have lots and lots more people than there are in any other, you know, scientific trials. And each one of those people is either going to go on or they're going to back off. They're going to dip their toes in a whirlpool called a beanie, and it's either going to draw them in because it's true or it's going to spit them out because it is not true. Now, when I spit it out, I knock something off on the counter. Well, that's my pulse oximeter. Uh, it's good to know if you're body's putting oxygen in, isn't it? So that's a, a big way of thinking to me. It's a decision maker. It, you get to a point like that and you look and you're looking for mode of action, magnitude of effect. Are we ever doing well by those two measures?
I had two points that I wanted to make if I had an opportunity while we were at the conference, if I had a chance to speak to the group. There were two things that I wanted to say, and I'm going to say them right now in case you weren't there. The first one is that we are polluted in mass. Everybody's getting dirtier in our industrialized world. We make things that are so useful. I love sleeping inside. It's really great to have hot and cold running water. It's great to have a vehicle to be able to run halfway across the United States and back. But each time we make these things, for our convenience, the phone I'm talking to right now is radiating my head sitting over there. But I use it anyway because the convenience to me outweighs the danger. So then we have to manage the danger. So we are polluted in mass. Every single person creature on the planet is polluted in mass when we make our conveniences. And then we are cleaned one at a time. We are cleaned one at a time using Avini products. It's the best way we've found so far. You can avoid it. You can be careful. You know, you can try to move to the country, whatever it is that you do to, a, you know, try to live in a cleaner, healthier place. Or maybe you're forced to go. The convenience for you and what you've done is in the inner city. That's where you feel at home. So you're polluted in mass and cleaned one at a time. I heard a comment uh, that Marcy was, you know, she had her office set up in the back and I'm uh, proceeding uh, on Interstate 80, headed home, astonished at the things I'm seeing, the depth of the drift someplace that you can't see to the sides of the road. And apparently a whole bunch more came in last night. We came through a brilliant little opening that God provided, I guess, to get us uh, back here home. But, But in the back, she had her little office set up, and one of the things she said was, if we could just bring this product into the water supply for the world, what would happen? She said, I'd, I'd gladly give up all of the income that comes along with doing it the way we do it if we could just get it to everybody. Unfortunately, there is no such thing as liquid zeolite. Did you know that? It is a suspension of micronized activated zeolite that becomes our Avini Cell Defender product. No such thing as liquid zeolite. Uh, micronized activated zeolite in water. And that gets me to the second point I wanted to make if I got a chance to talk to everybody. So these are the top ones after uh, contemplating. What if I get just a second to talk to them? What do I want to say? First one, polluted in mass, cleaned one at a time. That's what Avini's about. The second one is, and I hope you heard this if you were there at the moment that I had a little chance to say something when we were announced as new white diamond apprentice. Uh, Marcy said her piece and and Neil kindly gave me the mic for just a second. And I reached over to my buddy, Rick, and I said, there's really only one difference between Rick Deitch and me. And that is if you put us both in a garage with a wheelbarrow full of the raw material, quinoptilolite, he can make the product a Vini Cell Defender, and all the other products that have activated micronized zeolite in it. I cannot. Guess what? Every other person on the planet at this point has the exact same limitation. If you put anybody who claims to be a formulator for another company in a garage next to Rick Deitch, you give them each a wheelbarrow full of the exact same raw material, Clinoptolite from a mine, 
Rick can make the product. The others have a problem. They are attempting to imitate something they do not understand. They're like a prehistoric man who witnessed a UFO and carves one from the rock to represent it. You cannot imitate something you do not understand. I was actually talking to one of the guys who had his name on a very important document, a document that I enjoyed reading, by the way, and I had a chance to talk to him. I thought, man, I'm going to learn a lot now. And just a few moments into the conversation, he asked me if I was worried about the aluminum in the cage of the clinotillolite. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I mean, literally, totally deflated my opinion of the man in an instant. Because I thought, yeah, that's a super smart question from somebody brand new. I mean, it, a super smart question because they have figured out they were paying attention. They noticed that there is aluminum in the zeolite cage. It's actually aluminum and silica, and each one of those surrounded by oxygen. The aluminum and silica have the uh, positive charges. The oxygens surrounding them are, are in you know much greater multitude, and that is what creates the strong negative charge that opens up the cage and draws the poisons in and sequesters them within. In that form, when it's made the crystal, remember this is the crystal that uh, is formed after a volcano erupts in seawater, and you start having a repeating molecular structure over and over again. By definition, that's a crystal. Happens to be negatively charged, very rare. Happens to have a lot of openings within it, also quite unusual property for a stone. And in nature, it's already full of poisons, mostly heavy metals, mercury, cadmium, lead, arsenic, all those things are already in that cage, held and sequestered there. Someone said that our rock cleans the planet because it holds the things within it that would be dangerous to us. And then we go get it out of there so we can use it, mine it. You know, we do those kinds of things. And then we make the stuff that's handy for us, polluting our own world. But that aluminum cannot get out of the cage. It takes 900 degrees for hours and hours to break that cage. I loved something that Dr. Lonke wrote on his slides. I'd never seen it written before. He said what Rick has is essentially not just chelation of metals, but in Rick's hands, it is reversible chelation of metals. You and I, we pick up the metals out of the atmosphere, out of our food, out of our drink, and we fill our bodies with it to the point that I remember coming across an article that in Europe they had to redesign the crematoriums because the cremation of people became one of the most serious sources of heavy metal pollutants in the atmosphere. So they had to somehow be able to capture it, keep it out, I suppose, using zeolites. But we wind up being the place where all these things accumulate. The higher the food chain, the big fish before us, high accumulation of these kinds of poisons. And then us, even more than them. And so what in Rick's hands, now you have the reversible chelation of heavy metals. And he, he'll talk to you, you know, about anything and make it fun. But we're talking about a cationic exchange. Same way you're, I'm looking over at the water softener here. Same way the water softener works, by trading this for that. And he's able to 
outsmart the thing and run it backwards so that it gives up the poisons it prefers, and he gives it instead just a few, you know, calcium and magnesium, things like that, that it doesn't prefer and just keeps drawing away from it and giving it what it doesn't want, taking what it does, giving back what it does. And this takes, now he says, up to four days and over 30 steps to get the product clean enough and small enough to be clean. He says when he makes it small, the way he does it now, and I've watched him, you know, work with this for many years now, since the middle of August 2005, his first I was heard about him. He'd been working on it since the 90s before he brought it to market. Took that long to figure it out. You think somebody, you know, who is a uh, owner of a network marketing company is going to figure this thing out? I'll just take a really super smart guy. How about our owner? You think you could swap places between Neil and Rick and everything would be just fine? No, (laughs) no, no, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. We, We just happened to have this special thing that's happened and I thought Glenna Russell really nailed it in her Emerald acceptance speech. And she said, at one point, it had to happen. God said, let there be a Vini. And there it was. And it, doesn't it feel like that just resonated with me when she said that? God said, let there be a Vini. And there it was. Because we have just the exact right people in the exact right places. So Neil, you know, trained as an astronaut in math, and then developed through the retail drug chains and then picked up by Rexall and got a love for network marketing and then actually sponsored Marcy and I a couple of times at Rick's request to help market his product with other companies. But he's not Rick. I I didn't know he was Neil until he did this. I had no idea what a multi-billion dollar retail drug executive can do with one hand tied, like Dave says, with half his brain tied behind his back, he can do this. And he does it so fast. You know, Doug Dickey marvels that he'll work and work on something, send it over to Neil, and Neil will ask for a couple of brilliant revisions in an hour. He's just gifted that way. Rick is gifted to see how this all works. He's not carving a UFO out of a stone that he found on the ground. And these things, he, he was at the point in his understanding that all of a sudden he could see that the humans needed to be detoxified. And then he knew that there was historical uses of zeolite. He knew that there may be some additional benefits to that. He had seen the work out of Croatia where dogs had been injected with dirty zeolite intravenously through their veins. And they seemed to be able to pretty much no matter where they were, reduce the lesions that came with cells that made a mistake. So he's looking at that and he thought, well, I already came from the world of, you know, developing chemo drugs. I was the guy that was supposed to keep them from hurting you so bad. But I've already been, you know, in a medical world where I have to hurt someone to help them. My new goal as a formulator for healthy products is to help people to help them. Those are big statements I use a lot, you guys. He came from a world where he was supposed to reduce the amount of hurt to help people. The drug he was working on with Gertrude Elion, Nobel Prize winner in cancer research, was camptothecin. Perfect in lab animals. You give me a lab animal with a problem, and we'll be able to dissolve that tumor, and he goes on just fine. Unfortunately, when it came to human trials, we have circulating human albumin, a protein that they don't. 
that happens to stick to camptothecin. So it was his job as a computer-assisted drug designer. This is the history of the wisdom that we work with. It was his job to attach you know, a methyl or a glycol or something to that chain to make it more slippery so it didn't hurt as bad. That drug is still used today. And you still better have a nephrologist watching your kidneys if you're using it because it's going to hurt your kidneys. He also worked alongside Monroe Wall, more with Gertrude than with Monroe. That came with Taxol. If you've had been around the chemotherapy area, you probably know about Taxol. These things are still used today. He got married, had kids, needed money, broke out of his PhD program, got picked up by Rexall. Rexall had suddenly gone from the retail drug side to the healthy formulation side. They had created Rexall Sundown, Rexall Showcase, and they needed somebody to help formulate products. Picked up Rick, you know, as a kid assistant right out of college to help formulate products. Within a year, Rick Deitch was the lead formulator for what became a multi-billion dollar network marketing effort. Hundreds of products, billions of dollars in sales. And he also had one problem left that he had not solved. There was always some giant bureaucracy hanging over his head wanting to influence what he did. Gertrude Elion, Monroe Wall, looking at him and saying, yeah, we're going to stick with these Nobel Prize winning drugs. You just got to figure out how to make them not hurt people as much. How do you buck against giant personalities and Nobel Prizes like that? Well, you eventually break away. It might be interesting to you to note, too, and I, I want you to be able to just in a second or two reveal to people what a brilliant place you get to come from with Avini, that same program. Now, Rick wasn't as much involved in this part of it. He was more on the chemotherapy part. But that same program, Duke University, Gertrude Elion, they came up with the anti-rejection drugs that are still used in every organ transplant patient to this day. That's the kind of smart that this whole thing is coming from. After the revolution, remember I call Rick an escaped biochemist. When you start to talk to him, what if you say, I'm working with an escaped biochemist who suddenly was fascinated with how to help people by helping them instead of to help them at the expense of hurting them worse? What would that be like? That's what we have. These are things that I use in conversations all day, every day. And probably the most important thing I could do is transfer those little phrases to your mind. Let there be a Vini. I like that. Like that. Help people to help them instead of having to hurt them worse to help them. Really, really like that kind of stuff. Those are the things that I really wanted to be able to deliver myself at the event. I was really really got a, a joy and a, a, a little bit of a, a, a twist um, when we had Darcy neighbors come and speak to us. And she was a marketing expert. Kind of cool. And I have, she was a girl who had an orange dress. She said, try to find an orange dress and orange sunglasses that perfectly match. And she talked about branding from Darcy neighbors. I thought, oh, that's going to be interesting. And she said, in, in my entire career, Darcy said, I have never come across a company like this that is so beautifully set up and branding itself just by its nature. 
She said, I want you all to know that you are branding ambassadors. Avini begins again with each one of you. It takes on some of your personal personality. It takes on your tone, your preferences, your skills. Avini becomes an extension of you. It becomes next level because you're involved. It now has your promises to fulfill. It becomes not just a viable choice to solve problems for the humans. In your hands, it becomes the only choice, the only sensible choice, because nothing else measures up. Nothing else compares to what you bring. So what you say and do, the way that you are ignited when you get this in your hands, the way that you choose to measure your success, whether it's the biological side or the economic side or both that you choose to measure to say that you are succeeding as a Vini beginning with you, that you truly are a promise keeper. Always true in network marketing, you don't have to do anything until you say you will. Then you have to do it. Don't have to do anything in a Vini until you say you will. Then you become one of the promise keepers and you have to do it. She said, you guys have the most incredible leadership within your brand name, just starting with Rick and Neil. And if I'm going to worry about something, it's those two guys. I don't know how we replace them. I don't know anybody else like them. We in the field are constantly, wonderfully, replacing ourselves with with better models Right? I mean, we're finding new leadership that's better than any of us that are already here. And what a wonderful thing that is. We are constantly replacing ourselves with newer and better models. I really don't know yet what we do without Rick and Neil. That's part of the let there be a Vini thing that Glenna so brilliantly pointed out that really got me. And do we have any competitors? No. They are UFOs carved out of a piece of stone. They are attempting to imitate something they do not understand. Did you get that little piece of language? I've used that for a long time. Can you imitate something you do not understand? They understand the marketing. They see that there's a need, and they understand that, yeah, zeolite apparently is the big word. You can just go pick some up. You know, it's $800 a ton dug out of the side of a, a, a mountain with a payloader dumped in a dump truck and bagged up and delivered same bags probably come to our lab and other people's labs. Rick talked about the different mines around the U.S. And some of them are easier to clean than others based on what happens to be in them there. But nobody else understands how to run that cationic exchange backwards. For them, the chelation is not reversible. So you're stuck, just like the guys in Croatia were. It's either going to be trapped in the gut or you're going to have to load it into a syringe and shoot it right into the veins. Think about this. I've probably never really told you guys this before, but where do we get the poison to kill these problems? When we're using Rick's micronized activated zeolite that's clean, you take it's not going to hurt anything, right? It's actually helpful. It's helpful to living organisms. How does that get worked around to where if a cell's made a mistake, it causes that cell to choose not to make a copy of itself. It actually uses the poisons it picks up in you that you've accumulated over a lifetime. It fills itself. It trades 
that little bit of magnesium and calcium because it doesn't want that. That's what's in it in the bottle. And you take the dropper and it begins to trade. It swaps that stuff out. Don't want that. I want this. Like a kid trading for better marbles, prettier marbles, whatever, bigger marbles. It trades until it gets what it wants. Now it's full of poison. Now it is near neutral in charge. Now it is safe and easy for the kidneys to sort out things by size, shape, and charge that it could not get at before because things were stuck somewhere. But on the way to the exit, if that zeolite cage full of poison runs into a cell that's stealing your food, absorbing everything, that cell and only that kind of cell, selectivity is so crucial, that cell will steal it and eat it. And it just ingested a depth charge. And it'll go in there. And this is just a little bit of inside my brain kind of a thing. I'm thinking, well, how does it do that? I mean, it's safely sequestered inside the cage. It gets pulled into this that's, you know, not no longer trying to make you. It's not a more advanced cell than you are. It's a primitive cell. It's a regression, not a progression. It's just trying to make copies of itself. It's no longer trying to make your liver or your kidneys or your pancreas or your brain or your prostate or your ovary. It's no longer trying to make those things. It's just trying to make copies of itself. That cell sees you as nothing but a pool of primordial ooze from which to get building materials to make copies of itself. So it's stealing everything it can get a hold of it. It's, you know, to make stuff out of. And it begins to break those things down to get the pieces it's need. Like little internal, you know, those cells thrive on fermentation. Their mitochondria don't work like they should have anymore. They can't really do cellular digestion as well as we do. They rely on fermentation. They got to have sugar. Those little cells are as though you were full of a whole bunch of moonshiners. What a moonshiner's got to have to thrive. They got to have sugar and fermentation. So I think that's a little bit like what Rick is using, some mild organic acids, temperature, time, and doing it over and over again. And my guess is, and this is just a guess, that maybe the cell actually pops a couple of mercuries or a couple of cadmium loose from the cage instantaneously, running something in there kind of like what Rick does in the lab. I'm just kind of thinking, okay, I keep wondering, okay, how does he do this? It's not that I don't ask myself the question. I don't understand the answer yet, but maybe it pops that out. That's what causes the tumor suppressing genes, P21, P27, P53. Uh, I need to study that more, and we'll talk about that. But which genes then make the right decision that previously had made the wrong decision and let the thing keep making copies. Now it takes a second look. Someone said that our product should have been named a second chance. Great name for it. Somebody else said it should have been called self-defender. What did your martial arts trainer tell you? What does Chris Bruce tell you at the beginning of his class? I don't know this for sure because I've been in Chris's class, but Dua Vang always said, recognize a potentially dangerous situation. Oh, well, that fits right with what we're doing, right? Avoid if possible. All right, that makes sense. And the last statement, defend if necessary. You could have called Avini Cell Defender, Avini Self Defender, or you could have called it Avini Second Chance, Second Chance at Life, Second Chance at the Unlimited Version of Yourself. Could have called it that. I think I got a little bit of that marketing thing in there. I wrote down about her, about Darcy Neighbors, that she was marveling at our marketing. 
She was marveling at her opportunity to help market this product because so much is just happening naturally for this product to find its way in the world. I'm just flipping back through my notes here, and I've arrived at where Valerie Johnson said her statement when Dave and Valerie were recognized as a Beanie White Diamond Directors. So who are they directing? They're directing all of us. And Valerie pointed out the highlight that I circled from her talk was words of love. And in that same conversation with her and Dave, I circled, no pay, do it anyway. Dave was representing this when there was absolutely nothing in it for him except for the importance of the product. Mars and I have done it when there was no pay and do it anyway. I think that little statement right there, if there was no pay, would you do it anyway? Is it of that kind of value? Does it truly fulfill you? And yet there is a wonderful income-producing opportunity. <laughs> yeah, Dave's, one of Dave's little comments that makes you stop and think. And then you, the problem with that is when Dave says this stuff, I miss the next 10 thing he says, but I circled this one. He said, I don't know if you all have noticed, but not all jobs are equal. Oh, they're not all this fun? They're not all this important? Oh, who knew? Who knew? I wanted to just say one other thing. I, I think I stretched my time a little bit, but I, I wanted to notice who shows up at an Avini conference. Who is this attracted to? And I noticed that there were network gurus and authors there. Larry Prophet, Vigo Madsen, trainers of trainers, network marketing gurus and authors were there. People with exotic illnesses looking for an answer were there. There was a great abundance of the world's finest exotic healthcare practitioners were there. Ones that used vibrations and light and nutrition and detox and coolness and look into your eyes and tell what's right or wrong. They could sense things from a great distance. They were there. And for some reason, with each and every one of those categories, it fit perfectly. And I have to have one other category, and I, this is what you're looking for. You're looking for great networkers. You're looking for people who love network marketing. That group is going to have the greatest traction. They're going to move ahead the quickest because they've done it before. They know the other people that love doing it. All those others will develop some of the attributes. And the reason you get somebody like Dave teaching us is he's wanting to give us traction. The reason you get Marcy on Wednesday nights, the reason she's up, now we both have organized calls at the same time, oh, dark early in the morning. She's upstairs doing one for somebody, and I'm down here doing it for you guys. The person upstairs doesn't know there is a Wednesday call yet, doesn't know there is a morning Wednesday call. They just got excited yesterday and asked if they could have a whole bunch of their people on a Zoom that they were going to talk to yesterday afternoon. And they don't happen to be networkers. They just love what they heard. They love what's here, people that are attracted to this. And so the great talent is there. The talent is arriving. And I think that's kind of what I have. Well, I got one little bonus thing. In a bike race, doesn't matter who crosses the finish line first, a big guy or a little guy, but guess what? It's always the little guy. And the big guy's job is to protect the other guy so that he's fresh at the very end of the race. So the likely leaders in the group, we protect our likely leaders and we bring them forward at the moment that we need them. Those spectacular testimonies, the people that understand how to build, we, we take care of them. All the rest of us, 
we're caregivers, we're taking care of a beanie. And at the moment that we need someone to make a point, we bring that person to the front. It's their moment to lead the race. And whatever your talents are, and they certainly are a wealth of talents amongst you. I just made a little list here of the people that, you know, set the tone at conference by putting their testimonies up. Jim McGrath, Chicago Steve, Rihanna McCondless, and her story is about rock. Everybody loved rock juice. Apparently rock juice is part of the language now. Every interest, every enthusiasm comes with its own vocabulary. Apparently rock juice is now part of the Avini vocabulary. The one that she said that didn't catch everybody's attention yet that I loved, and I suppose will, she said when her hair started coming back in, she was looking in the mirror and she saw baby bird hair growing all over her head. I thought, what a great description. That girl is so good with the language. Fluffy baby bird hair, apparently that is caused by rock juice. So that's what I got for today. Hey, Chip, this is Robin. How are you? Hey, Rob. Hey, I've got to say that was probably one of the most brilliant calls I have heard you do, and I have got two pages of notes. Thank you so much. I'm going to get this call out to everyone I know. That was so helpful. Really appreciate you. We love you, and, and you're amazing. Right back at you, Rob. And, and it, it, I have to say one of the neatest moments in the whole thing was when Glenna got done speaking and her sister stood up to give her a standing ovation. I, that just jumped out at me. That was another one of those that's forever etched in my mind. And I have to say, well, you heard her speak yesterday because Dave called her to the front. Dave called her to the front of the bike race yesterday. I didn't know. I didn't know that she had prepared something like that. It's her diamond talk, but she had to give it early because she was emerald. But she said, that's the diamond talk, and you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it. So it's coming. 